Hello and welcome back to Bondcast, a podcast series where we discuss our views on the latest themes and events shaping rates markets. I'm Imogen Bakra, Head of UK Rate Strategy, and I'm joined today by our Global Market Specialists, Dan Lavruzzi and Joanne Spadiger. Uh, okay, lots to catch up on literally this week, given we've been off for so many weeks. Um, but given uh, it's the ECB next week, Joanne, I will start with you and your views on Europe. Um, before we took our extended break from Broncast, it felt like European markets were taking a little bit of a backseat to other fixed income markets, or certainly were being driven, I suppose, by what was happening in the US and the UK. Um, but we have seen a bit more volatility that's sort of been domestically driven, I suppose, in Europe over the last couple of weeks, um, and particularly around expectations for next week's meeting. So what's been driving that and, and how does that fit your views? It was a fairly, like, some start of the summer, like you said, uh, but we've had a fairly interesting couple of weeks uh, with lots of data really driving the market. Uh, it does seem to be at least that there's some nervousness in the market about what the ECB September meeting could hold, whether that's a hike or pause. Uh, we're in the pause camp, but we'll come back to that later. Uh, but I do think that in terms of the ECB, um, the data dependency message has really been resounding through the market, and we've really seen the market react in response with that data dependent message. Um, on the growth picture, we've had PMIs come in, and to be honest, they were a lot weaker than markets were expecting, uh, which did beat be some repricing for the September meeting on the back of those. Uh, the story there really is that the weakness we saw uh, before the summer in the manufacturing sector is now not just contained in the manufacturing sector, with the service sector as well showing signs of weakness. So we've seen the PMIs are coming sub-50, so indicating recessionary territory for both the manufacturing and service sector. So this story for growth in Europe really is not a positive one. We've seen revisions downwards in the GDP picture today. I think just generally speaking, I think there is this understanding that European growth is going to be slow. Um, and that's kind of what we've been seeing, seeing or playing into the dovish side of the, uh, I guess, argument. Um, on the inflation side, the numbers we saw last week were fairly interesting in the sense that headline inflation did come in slightly higher than expected. But core was in line. And I think the core inflation print is interesting because it does show that that is some kind of gradual easing in the core side of things, which should obviously be positive for those in the committee hoping for a pause in the next meeting. Um, I think the inflation picture, of course, is uh, has a lot of uncertainty at the moment. We've had energy prices and focus once again uh, in Europe. We also had, um, I suppose, the inflationary headline the headline data last week, which came in a bit higher than expected. Uh, but for us, we do think that inflation should continue to come downwards, particularly for the next uh, for the next print that we get after the ECB meeting. Um, so the inflationary pressure really is also kind of moving uh, moving inflation lower whilst the growth picture is stagnating as well. Um, I think all in all, the data has kind of supported our view. Um, but, but I think another sort of interesting driver has really been in terms of the ECB speakers we've been seeing off late, uh, with markets kind of pushing high and low based on what we're hearing from that. Uh, for me, I think the kind of main point we're guessing from both the Volks and the Dubs is that the next week's decision is open uh, for either a kind of hike or a pause. Um, but I suppose the movement in the Hawks, some of the Hawks, some of the Hawks, for example, Schnabel, um, needing a bit less Hawkers than before did kind of move markets to, to reprice the September meeting, whilst yesterday not coming in saying, oh, markets, maybe you're pricing too little. 
led to another repricing this time upwards for the September meeting. So I think um, there's just a lot of volatility and markets really are being reactive to a lot of the things that things that are coming up. How has that left your view then? I suppose here I'm thinking both in terms of, well, rate action for the next meeting, but perhaps what that implies as well for peak rates and whether we've reached that or not, but but then also how you're thinking about QT as that's another tool that, that the ECB can react with. So our expectation for September hasn't really changed. We still expect a pause uh, next week. And I think the deterioration and growth outlook really does solidify um, that view for us. Decreasing and deteriorating growth picture has implications for inflation as well. And um, so that obviously leading to potentially weaker growth and then weaker inflation as a result. And um, so for us, the clear answer, at least for next week, is uh, that there will be a pause. We obviously know that there's a risk that market that the ECB might actually hike as well. So I do think that while markets are pricing in at the moment around 35% chance of a hike, does look around fair to me, um, given the risks that that could uh, actually materialize. Uh, but I don't think that the ECB will use QT, for example, as a negotiation device between the hawks and doves, for example. Um, I think active sales um, in Europe is obviously a lot more difficult given the range of assets and the range of country bonds that the ECB holds. I don't think now is the time for them to be thinking about that, particularly given that they only really started to get comfortable with BTPQT um, quite late into the process. Um, I also, I think if there were to be sort of a negotiation tactic, it could come in the form of minimum reserves, um, given that there was a change in that last uh, time around, given that uh, the kind of minimum reserve requirement, which is 1%, uh, has actually been high in the past. So we could see that, uh, if anything, as a kind of tool for negotiation. When we think about the next meeting, you know, I suppose this goes back to how we would talk, the kind of language that we were using when we were talking about the Fed a couple of meetings ago, you know, whether they hike or not, is that a pause or a skip? Um, how are you thinking about that if they don't hike next meeting? Uh, do they deliver this as a skip or that the peak is is actually in? I do think that any pause next week will kind of come with this a narrative that the ECB will be open to doing more if they need to. Uh, that being said, I do think a pause next week also reduces the likelihood that they do do more in the sense that um, if there isn't a reason to hike next week, I think the reason to hike um, in the next and upcoming meeting will be even lower given that we do expect that the next inflation print will come in a lot. Uh, we'll, we'll kind of show a decrease once again, driven by um, kind of uh, services and also goods, goods inflation coming downwards. So with the inflation picture moderating, I don't think that, I do think that if they pause next week, then another um, kind of skip, a skip narrative or a hike in the future is more unlikely uh, at this stage. Okay, great. Thank you. Well, we will obviously catch up next week after the meeting when, all of our questions have been answered. Okay, Jan, over to you, Dad. There's also been, I guess, unsurprisingly, um, a bit of volatility in US rates as well, particularly since um, we last spoke. Uh, broadly speaking, we've seen uh, curves steepening come about with that volatility. What's your view on the drivers behind all of those things? Like you said, we have seen uh, a broader steepening, but this time driven by the uh, by the long end of the curve, which is mostly unusual for this part of the cycle. But we actually did dig a little bit deeper into the topic and kind of find out that as a central bank uh, 
pauses the the sequence of hikes or at least introduces a lot more uncertainty whether they are going to uh, hike or cut in the future. Basically, what the Fed is trying to do with uh, we're here, we're going to pause for a little bit, or at least we're almost here. That we we don't think we'll get a get another interest rate hike, but markets are still kind of in a 50-50 mode. Uh, but you know, the days of 75, 50 base point hikes and, you know, wondering whether we have another percent or two more percentage points left in, uh, left ahead of us in the, in the hiking cycle are, are mostly behind us. So what, when that happens, the front end really tends to get pinned and which, or at least trained in a relatively narrow, well, for this cycle in absolute terms, not so narrow, but, a, a in a range. So the two-year note has been trading uh, around the five. 4.8% kind of in that, in, in similar to uh, kind of in a wider with some fluctuations, but overall in that in that band, not that surprising. But then uh, the long end became kind of like the more, and by long end, I'm talking about 10 year, 30 year, uh, those parts of the curve did became a little less anchored because you end up in a situation, like I said, until now it was very much so we either rally because markets don't think the Fed is going to hike as much or cut sooner, driven by the front end, and we sell off uh, because of the other way around, we think we're going to hike more. Now that's been contained. A lot of the action has shifted further out the curve. We're having days where people are more worried about supply or growing deficits or um, ideas such as a soft landing, which we think has taken a uh, a very strong kind of uh, a presence on Wall Street now or generally across uh, price setters that the economy is suddenly going to avoid a recession or in fact have no recession at all, a view that we completely do not subscribe with. But uh, by any means, uh, ideas like that tend to push longer dated, uh, you know, like premiums such as, you know, people like talking about term premium or risk premium or however you want to call it, these measures that you can kind of uh, only observe ex post. For the sake of most investors and practical uh, debates on markets, the neutral rate is mostly a, a bit of a arcane and useless, so I'm not going to get too much into it, but it sure makes like a good uh, dinner conversation with economists. <laughs> <laughs> and also a wild dinner parties you go to yeah no <laughs> between that publication today that haven't been that fun <laughs> okay let's think a little bit about the fed i guess a bit more near term and perhaps concepts that we are happier to put um you know actual estimates and, and numbers around obviously the fed isn't for another couple of weeks but next week we do get cpi which will be um important in determining certainly from a market perspective determining expectations for that fed reaction function going forward how are you thinking about us cpi next week so we see it more or less in line uh with what the market has in at point two on the core side uh, which is, is a reminder strips out the food and energy components uh because it is widely expected that since energy prices like gasoline has seen rebound over the past uh past month or at least through August that we are going to see a, a jump there. So that shouldn't be a surprise, but the core component in our view continues to take lower, rents are moderating. You have across the board kind of like a normalization of prices, uh, goods are in inflationary territory for the most part. Uh, and and like I said, this kind of drop in shelter and rent measures are, are expected and they're materializing. So if we see a little bit uh, a continuation of that trend, we should get a firmer point too, which in our view is certainly enough to uh, allow the Fed to take a break, certainly skip the September meeting. And skipping the September meeting is, uh, to be fully honest, it's not really a, a contrarian view that we have that is very well priced in. And we did see from most of the uh, Federal Reserve speakers, 
over the past week or so uh, and defending a similar stance. Maybe we don't have to do September. Maybe we reached uh, the point of enough tightening. Maybe we haven't, but let's wait and see. And I think there's pretty much sticking to the script from the, the latest summary of economic projections where the Fed uh, had another hike left for, for this year. There's just simply no point in walking that back just in case inflation accelerates. Uh, we've had too many missteps in or as a the forecasting community, including that had had too many, you know, missteps in trying to get uh trying to get the path of inflation right. So it's there's just no point in having this confidence and saying, well, listen, it's it's mostly done. We think that can flip pretty quickly if we get a confirmation that uh trend inflation is headed lower, then we certainly think the cycle could not only be over, but by the end of the year we could start getting indications that as the economy slows down that we might uh they might decide to kind of like pull back a little bit in nominal terms just to keep the levels of tightening in real terms uh, unchanged, right? Because like if inflation is coming down and if you keep rates at five and a half percent while your inflation is coming down in real terms, you're passively tightening. So we think they would want to avoid that, uh, avoid that situation. Makes sense. What else are you going to be watching in the next couple of weeks except for the data, I suppose? So uh, corporate supply has been a pretty big topic this week and particularly last week heading into this week and most likely will remain uh, over a few, at least through September. That's largely because August was a fairly slow uh, slow in, in terms of supply by corporates in the U.S. Uh, and that's reversing now. Uh, that is also one of the reasons why we see, you know, that is also one of the main channels that, uh, that Fed's rate hikes are playing through, through shrinking corporate margins. Uh, from the debt channel, corporations are now issuing at obviously at like higher yield levels. Although, given how compressed spreads are, it really hasn't been kind of as much as you would expect. But nevertheless, there 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 has been already for the first few days of uh, of this month, we have seen a large uh, amount of supply. The first day, I believe, uh, the first working day of this week post Labor Day was about thirty eight billion just in in a single day in corporate. Uh, IG in, in in the United States, so a substantial number. We're not having quite days like that anymore, but you know, comparably high levels are still in play, and uh, which is adding a little bit more pressure to yield, added, adding uh, tightening pressure to swap spreads, and uh, and so on. So that will be a topic to watch. Until then, uh, the real determinant of how the Fed's going to develop uh, going forward, I think, is the CPI next week, as you alluded to. We've had some labor market data, like last week's. Unemployment was a mixed bag. I think it certainly shows that uh, things are cooling down, but perhaps not to the speed that you would expect. Uh, for example, just because, because before I came into this room, we had the weekly claims showing again a pretty secularly tight labor market. So uh, let's see, let's see how that unravels. But I think that's probably enough from the U.S. I'm just gonna, uh, you know, toss it right back into markets. You just came back from a uh, uh, from your was it two weeker or more? Three, yeah, three. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so just put you right on the spot and kind of bring it to the front end of the curve where we've actually seen a, a decent amount of repricing. Uh, you know, those expectations have changed, not just in the U.S., but also in the U.K. too. So how does that all fit in with your views? Yeah, and I probably should caveat by saying this is very like high level, almost from the outside looking in, because as Jen said, this is my first day back after a three-weeker. So I'm a little bit rusty and trying to catch up pretty quickly on what has been quite big front-end moves um, in the UK. It looks like we've done pretty much a round trip, a 50 basis point round trip nonetheless, in terms of what markets are expecting from um, in terms of peak rates from when we last caught up, which was just after the Bank of England 
the August Bank of England meeting when we had that kind of dovish reaction function shift. Since then, we had data that pushed almost entirely in the opposite direction. We had the stronger than expected labor market data, then stronger than expected inflation data. But against that, we've then had weaker activity data and the central bank rhetoric that has kind of continued to push in this sort of we are near the peak um, uh, direction. So I suppose the two high level points that that I would make today is that although there's a lot that has been made around this kind of insistence from the BOE that I guess Pill kind of kicked off last week with his um, table mountain um, narrative, but has sort of been doubled down again by Bailey. Their insistence is that they are near the peak. They haven't said that they are at the peak. And I think there's a bit of a disconnect between what the headlines have been reporting and what they've actually said in their language. You know, they've talked, as we knew back from the August meeting, that the peak was near. Um, but I still don't think that that necessarily means that the peak is in. Um, and to the extent that the parts of the data that they will be looking at is really kind of, you know, core inflation, the wage data, um, that has been the kind of strong parts of the data. And although it feels premature and and kind of a close call, I suppose, around what the BOE will do at the September meeting, given that we still have another inflation print and labor market data next week, um, you know, to the extent that we think labor market data can still be strong and actually given base effects, we see another marginal tick up in headline inflation this month. Um, against that backdrop, I think it's difficult for them to kind of decisively conclude that the peak is definitely in and that they've kind of won this fight on inflation. You know, we talked previously about how much more concerned they sound now about labor market data. We did a quick um, kind of word count on the times that they referenced pay growth or wage growth or earnings growth in the August meeting versus prior meetings. And they talked about it 20 times in the August minutes um, versus just 12 in in June. So there's heightened concern around kind of second round effects. And it feels to me like, uh, although there has been mixed data, the, the weak data has really been on the activity side and not what they've been monitoring for, um, I guess, the strength of, of second round effects of inflation. Against that though, they have, like I say, been pretty insistent on this narrative that the peak is near and even after they've we saw this kind of big repricing and outperformance of front-end UK rates over the last couple of days given the the narrative shift from um, the MPC they haven't really pushed back against that you know Bailey um, sort of doubled down on what Pill said rather than pushed back against the market interpretation of anything that that Pill had said so on balance, it, it does feel like a close call. Um, and like I say, with two kind of key data prints ahead of the September meeting, it perhaps feels almost a bit early to call it, but but probably would still fall on in the camp of another 25 basis point hike at this point, um, which would take rates to five and a half. Um, and that would, would probably be the peak. So that was always or well since the last meeting ha- has been our base case so that's not a change I guess the biggest shift to the view is that we perhaps thought that maybe risk was skewed a bit more clearly to the upside you know perhaps you get five and a half and and then risks of 575 and I think those risk upside risks have have somewhat diminished um given the the rhetoric that we've heard um and you know I continue to push back against market pricing of 
um, the idea that the peak in rates doesn't come until March. You know, the market has long had this kind of late peak. Um, and no matter how much in recent weeks or even months that kind of peak has has shifted, the timing has always been quite late. And I, I still think that that is the case. You know, the market's sort of 80% chance of a 25-bit hike in September, which feels roughly fair, I suppose. But um, the idea that they will still be hiking in in March when other central banks are, you know, we think by then will have clearly taken their foot off the gas and and the data will have turned perhaps more decisively, um, I think is is perhaps where where uh, the bigger mispricing is. Not too bad for your uh, first day back, I should say. I, and I hope you didn't do the work. Thanks. Yeah, I hope you didn't do the work count while you're on the <laughs> on your vacation with us this morning. But uh, I didn't think... do any work, but it would be kind of worrying if I forgot everything after just three weeks. <laughs> Uh, okay, well let's uh, let's go further out the curve. And you had a ten-year target for gilts at four point six percent, and uh, it does feel like a while ago, but we just blasted through that target and we've came back through back again. So uh, fair to say it's been sort of volatile in, in gilt land as well. So uh, what do you think going forward for you know, that that section of the yield curve? Yeah, I think I just missed out on having a bond class to be able to gloat about that. So I'm glad that you mentioned it today because we did reach that target. But then, like you say, we have kind of rallied back through that with with the movement in um, front end rates. You know, nothing has changed in the last three weeks, unsurprisingly, around my view really on on longer dated rates. I'm still very much of the view that, you know, we can get back to 4.6%, but, but also that the risks are still skewed the, to the upside on that view. And so I, I haven't changed my view that I wouldn't really look to fade the cheapening um, in 10-year gilts until we got to 4.9%. I think that, um, you know, in some ways, again, the US is a lesson in terms of once we reach peak rates or we're much closer to peak rates and we can kind of move away from this, are they hiking, are they not? Is it 25, is it 50? The market can focus on other things. We can get a return of term premium bought about by these kind of supply risks in the UK and and the supply risks still loom very large against a backdrop of not a huge amount of demand. And I think that, you know, the closer that we get to both the QT announcement in a couple of weeks at the September MPC, the closer that we get to um, the updated guilt remit and the autumn statement in a couple of months time, you know, all of these things can serve as a reminder of just how heavy the, the supply is going to continue to be. Um, and also, I suppose, you know, just a, a return of supply. Clearly, we had this indication this week that was um, relatively well absorbed. But but the next few weeks, we'll see uh, a general return of supply, which will make the, the calendar heavier than it has been over the last couple of weeks. And we may well start to see signs of that kind of supply fatigue that I would argue we were seeing early in early in the summer weeks return. Um, and and the the risk to me still feels key to the upside on the supply front. So despite a, a more, I guess, a Bank of England reaction function that appears more dovish, um, you know, the data perhaps is still pushing in the direction of um, a little bit more tightening still to come um, and, uh, you know, upside supply risks. I suppose if, if we were to put those supply risks into context, you know, around 30 billion of additional supply plus an additional 25 basis point um, rate hike from the Bank of England 
would both together imply about 20 basis points on our kind of fair value estimate for for 10-year gills. So um, I think the risks are are skewed one way um, and uh, it won't be all that long before the market is is focused on those risks. Um, But plenty of time between now and then to discuss all of that. So that's probably enough for this week. Uh, It was very nice to have you both back um, and Boncast back. Um, It feels nice to be chatting about markets again. Uh, and plenty to discuss. So thank you both for joining me. Thank you for joining me. Um, Thank you to our listeners for listening in. Uh, And just a reminder that if you liked today's episode, please don't forget to hit the like button and click subscribe so you can get the latest episodes as soon as they're available. Thanks. See you next week.